Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day for an interview and I'm dead excited. I have got a very curious guest with me, Amy Guerrero. Amy and I agree that whilst curiosity kills the cat, it is actually probably quite good to be really, really curious in your own life and figure out, is the life that you're living really the best way that you can do it? Is that it? Or is there not maybe a way out there where you can live your life to such a fullness, to such a degree, to such a level that you're just a bursting with energy and are are absolutely waking up with this stupid grin on your face and thinking, yeah, it's another day. So Amy, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Let's figure out how, where the curiosity led you and why you started being curious in the first instance. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being like, just inviting me. Thank you for connecting with me through the powers of social media. <laughs> you know, I just love that we get to connect from across the world and be here now. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So curiosity. Wow. I remember um, when I was little, I would sneak around. I, I grew up in a household of mostly adults and didn't have a lot of interaction with other children in the very early years of my life. And so I was always like sneaking around behind, behind couches, behind doors, trying to figure out what they were doing, what they were saying, what they were up to. And my dad would call me sneaky. He's like, there she is sneaking around. And it was just this burning, you know, just desire to first of all, feel connected. Right. You know, I mean, I was sneaking around because I wanted to attention or to be connected and I would say that that was my 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 quest to find more connection in life and I did that through staying and being really curious beautiful beautiful and that was when you were younger now sometimes curiosity can kill the cat uh, sometimes things don't go so well but even if you're not curious life tends to throw you a lot of a lot of rubbish a lot of obstacles a lot of a lot of pain so you are right now a very positive woman and, and uh, a woman who is who is out there helping others but your journey was harrowing and 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 painful just as much as mine and, and many of the other guests that I talked to are you happy to share a bit where your trauma influenced you to such a degree that you decided enough is enough and go on to your own journey. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for asking. I'm <laughs> painful. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, with part of staying curious meant that I, I did stay out of judgment and I was quick to forgive. And so that's something that is actually I like about myself. I, I did remain pretty optimistic based on my circumstances in life. And all of this did start when I was a little tiny person. You know, my my mom was not well enough to, I, I think even think straight enough to raise me. 
and to be that mother that um, that we look for when we're little people, to be that secure attachment. And I didn't really know what a secure attachment from a woman would really look like. So that was my first original incident. So that started showing up in my body, in my mind, and in major ways. I was very sick as a little kid. I was very constipated. I was holding on so tight. And we know now that that's one of the main signs of trauma, right, is that the body holds on and it, you know, it's, it doesn't want to let go because it doesn't feel safe to let go. So, so much of this was already manifesting in my little body as a little kid. And, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, they're just like antibiotics and I kept on getting ear infections and throat infections and all kinds of things where my body just wasn't well. However, my family didn't know, you know, any Eastern approaches or any of the approaches that I take now in which to support me to heal. So there was just a lot of confusion and like I started to figure things out on my own. Um, my, if you asked my parents, you know, like, what was she like? She was, I was already very adventurous. I was already looking for solutions when I stopped hiding behind my dad's leg. Right. So one part of the, tra the trauma too, was just, I didn't trust anyone uh -huh. because I was always so scared that people were going to leave me. So this is just years and years of what we refer to as complex trauma, where it's just emotional trauma, not feeling wanted, not feeling good enough, not knowing if I was um, going to be left. Mm. My mom coming in and out of my life, doing all kinds of bananas things to, I don't know, try to show me that she loved me, but you know, she was in her own journey and she continues to be on her own journey. And that led me to staying really curious. I knew that, um, my family of origin didn't necessarily have the answers, but they were out there somewhere. So, um, you know, I mean, years and years of this went on and on and on. And when I found something to relieve what um, the energy in my body, right? I don't even know if we were using words like anxiety in the, the 80s yet, like if that was really as big. Basically, I just didn't feel good. I always had a stomach ache. I just was felt uncomfortable in my own skin. And um, that led to so many different behaviors. But when I found alcohol, um, I was like, woo, like this definitely soothes those feelings in my stomach. This definitely helps those thoughts slow down. This definitely helps me deal with the pain that I've been feeling my whole life that I feel so misunderstood. This helps. And, you know, that, that began my journey of escaping I do say that fantasy was my first escape mechanism so I was really great when I was two and three like three four years old at creating just these really big fantasies and I really thought that they were real and that's the safest thing a child can do is to from to escape the the arguing and the fighting and the uncertainty by going into their creative imagination and into that theta brainwave and so I did that really well. And what it manifested as, as a, you know, as a younger child that when I started to socialize with other kids was everyone called me a liar. But in my head, I was like, well, these are my safe places. You know, like I'm not lying. Like this is where I go in my mind to feel safe. So it was actually a very robust thing for my nervous system and my little mind to do. But it led to feeling, again, misunderstood and wrong and all these oh. things. So 
right? You're trying to socialize, you're getting the attention, the love that you want, and it's not working with the other kids. So, so much of this started, and I'm so grateful that I had this awareness when I started on my journey to to live a conscious, sober lifestyle, because I knew that it was so much deeper than just the coping mechanisms that worked for a really long time. I mean, I didn't stop drinking, completely stay stopped drinking until I was 41 years old. So I drank for a long time and used drugs and behaviors that didn't serve me, but they did serve me. And of course, as somebody who was curious, <laughs> I was pretty much willing to try anything, right? <laughs> very, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, there is some interference, and it sounds as if something's rubbing on your microphone. Where is oh. your Where is your microphone? It's on my. Um... Uh, so don't worry about the microphone if it is because you and I we both use our hands a lot. Okay. So there is the odd rubbing there, and it is thing. Don't. What you can do is feed it up and have it underneath your pullover and come up there. So therefore it becomes out of the way. So that's one way. Um, the uh, desk and I just won't touch it. And can you hear me okay? Yes, it actually sounds good. Say okay. a few say a few more sentences. Um, can you hear Anything? me okay? It's just sitting on my desk and I think it'll be okay there. I think it's actually really nice. It's nice. Okay. That is, it's just because we both are very active with our nonverbal communication. Uh, yes. It is It is what it is. So there's the odd rubbing there. Now that's cool. Okay. Um, it wasn't bad enough for me to stop the interview and you were so much in a beautiful flow. I didn't want to interrupt you. This okay. was just, you were just in, in going there and no, this is the odd, the odd scratch there. It is what it is. Okay. Cool. So let's continue. Sound okay. clap. And isn't it normal for us to want to escape the pain and the, the kind of uncertainty and the fear and all the negative emotions? And then there is this funny thing, the alcohol. And you take that class. Initially, you might like it, you might not like it. But soon there is this change happening and you feel, whoa, the pain is going away. Whoa, you said it beautifully that your brain slows down. And with that, you probably mean all the bad things are slowing down and uh, that anxiety and the, the not so nice things suddenly go away. And isn't that beautiful? So alcohol for virtually everyone has benefits, has an advantage there and then. You treat for a short period of time, it works. And it actually has, gives you some, some power over your own situation. And so we keep forgetting that. And everyone is saying, alcohol is evil, alcohol is evil. Yes, of course, alcohol is evil. Yes, it is. And that's the reason that you're probably listening to this podcast. But it, we should not forget that there are other problems our minds and, and our emotions face and they they don't like that and if suddenly there's something that that helps you deal with these problems and as i use deal here in the loosest possible term um then yeah it is there so 41 years uh of which probably 21 so a quarter of a century basically you were drinking alcohol 
And probably the first year or two or three or five, it helped. And then down the line, well, certainly judging by my own life, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, there would be more, more times when the alcohol didn't help and was actually counterproductive. But by now, I was so used to it. I mean, did, what did the alcohol do to you in a positive sense? It reduced your anxiety. What else did it do that you kept going? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess it did a lot of things. It, one of the main things that I was always seeking was connection. So it helped me connect to other people. It, um, it, it helped me be a part of, um, of different friend groups that, you know, that's what we did. That's what we had in common. I grew up in Texas Mm. and in Texas, um, football is really big, um, you know, American football. So we, um, like a lot of our world centered around tailgating and barbecuing and drinking beer and, and, and doing this thing. So it was just very normal part of the, you know, culture, the way that we did things and mm-hmm. the way that we celebrated and mm-hmm. all of the things. So, I mean, I, you know, alcohol saved me in so many ways. And the first time that I really contemplated, uh, had suicidal ideations was in seventh grade. So it was around the time that I found alcohol and I really, truly believe that if I didn't have that self-medication um, and then also that fun and that release, because it allowed me to release all of these emotions that allowed me to act wild and have fun and be, you know, more what I, you know, felt like I was being more authentic. And, and often I was like, I don't think that I was ever acting in a way to hurt other people. But I definitely was um, at the end trying to hurt myself for sure. Mm. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it saved my life in so many ways. I'm not mad at that. And I don't really get mad at alcohol. I don't, you know, what it's doing to our world, especially now um, here in the United States during this time, just watching that this is the only people that I can see. It's happening all over the world, though. Leaning into this high level coping mechanism is really I mean, it's out of control and it's because we're isolating and we're having these experiences and it just sucks that we don't have the education. And that's why you and I are here, that we don't have the education around like how to truly, truly, truly be honest with yourself and why you're choosing to consume anything outside of yourself, whether it be sugar what I call alcohol is sugar with ethanol in it. You know, I'm just like, let's, <laughs> let's just get the sugar with the ethanol out of your life, you know, because it's not really serving you. Like, think about that. You're drinking ethanol, you know, with sugar. That's what it is. And it, and it, it you know, the things that it does to the chemistry of your body uh, are not good. It's going to shorten your life in the end. A- yeah. But see, see the, the alcohol industry got clever on that because they realized with the Gen Z, um, the Generation C, they don't like the carbs. They don't like the that kind of lifestyle. So now you've got the hard seltzers, which is basically yes. water, carbonated, put some ethanol in it and a bit of taste in it. I mean, how much cheaper can you produce a drink for crying out loud? And now you can sell cheap shit for 
shitloads of money. You can yeah. imagine the alcohol industry is standing there and saying, yes, <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> so it's, it's getting easier and easier for them. Because, yeah. of course, you, we huh, see, we, we, we are creating new ways how to consume the alcohol, there's no doubt. Where, where did your money come from? What was your job? What was your profession? Oh, yeah. So um, I started making a lot of money when I was really young. Um, I, I, I have a utilitarian lifestyle um, or a utilitarian, um, I guess, way of I'm just built like a utilitarian. And, and, and if you look at what a utilitarian is, I've always been like, oh, I know how I can make money. So I started lemonade stands. I started babysitting young. Um, I really understood that if I had my own resources, that I could go be curious without my parents needing to know about it or to pay for it, right? Uh, so I created a lot of independence. I owned my first business when I was in high school still. So, what did yeah. you do? Um, I helped, well, I worked at Sonic. There, I worked at this drive-in burger place where, um, where I like roller skated around and brought people yeah. their food in their cars. Um, and from that experience, I met hundreds and hundreds of people every week. And um, I met a man who had a, a mortgage refinancing company, and I helped him find new leads. I was basically his lead generator for refinancing homes. Yeah. So I would like pack up a car full of my friends and we would smoke pot and we would go around from door to door, putting flyers on people's <laughs> door. And when the people would actually fill out the things, mail them back in. So, so 1990s. Um, and I would call them and, and have that warm, that cold call to, to make them a warm lead and then pass them off to the sky. And if he helped them refinance their home, I would get a commission. So I was making tips at Sonic I was making money from him. So I was doing really well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And okay, I mean, there again, there you use the John to relax, to don't care that you're walking up to someone's uh, door, that you took all the, the fear away. So it makes you nice and mellow. And yes, of course, the world is your friend. Yes. Yeah. But at least, I mean, to be honest, um, at least you're nice and mellow. You're not angry, uh, alcoholic there. But the way you sounded is you were curious. So you had the Mariana, you had a bit of the alcohol, you and probably some other things sort of snuck in. Um, and we don't need to go too much into details. Um, but do I assume right that you were a curious girl with disregard to spell? Oh yeah, absolutely. I was, I mean, I was just curious. I just wanted to experience everything that I possibly could. You know, um, even like in high school, I was always wanting to spend more time with my friend's parents because I wanted to see how they lived compared to how my parents lived. And, um, you know, people that had gone to college and had master's and PhD degrees, which my family didn't, I was the first one to go to college ever in my whole family system. So I was always just really curious and looking to see like, who's going to show me how to do life? Who's going to show me this pathway in which to, to do this thing in a way that I'm going to feel successful and feel good about myself. So I was looking a lot outside of myself for acknowledgement. And um, until I found yoga, which is way after that, like in 1999, that's when I started to go inward and really start to experience that inward journey. And of course, nothing worked faster than alcohol or Xanax or 
other drugs, but I was still very curious, but I tried pretty much everything on the gamut to, to see if it'll help soothe my body and to have fun. I mean, again, I, I don't, um, although the end was really, really gnarly for me, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of great experiences. I took a ton of risks all over the world and I met amazing people. And so I don't get mad at those parts. Do I wish that I could have showed up with this level of consciousness that I have now? Mm. Sure. Absolutely. However, like, you know, I was who I was then. And there's still so much of that woman inside me now, right? Like to live a conscious sober lifestyle is to be integrated. So I don't have guilt or shame about all the silly shit I did when I was out there having fun. <laughs> it's beautiful the way you, you phrase that because I have forgotten the beautiful sides of alcohol. I can remember very, very well the not so nice sides of alcohol, but it's good to go with a little smile down memory lane and actually think, hang on, there are like you. I took risks left, right and center. Like you, actually, I uh, I was the first one to go to university uh, in my whole history of family. Um, so there are two parallels there between you and me. Uh, it's a bit spooky, actually. Um, <laughs> but here you go. Obviously, same 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 driving forces that led you in Texas to go on your journey, and me in Germany uh, go on mine. It only shows that really what drives us and how we behave is so independent of of race, gender, uh, country of origin, probably religion. Yes, they are all they are putting their own kind of shades and, and nuances onto it. But ultimately, uh, we want reward and we hate pain. And that's what drives us ultimately when it comes down to it. Goodness gracious. So did you, did you keep working predominantly for yourself? Were you a businesswoman throughout the time? So you were, you were so far sending flyers into people's mailboxes and, and, and cold calling people. Uh, how did that continue? Where did you go from there up? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> and it's funny, I just put this together too. I, I forget that, like, I guess I had a heart for real estate. Didn't really know that that's the direction that I was going to take. But um, when I was in college, um, I wanted to live on campus in Austin. And there was just no way that my parents could afford it because it was so much more expensive. And as much as I was working, I still wanted to go to school full time. So I knocked on the um, resident manager's door like every day, at least once a week, if not every day um, that lived in that my boyfriend lived in the apartment complex there. And I was like, you should hire me. I'm just like a badass at everything I do and like hire me. And he's just like, who is this girl? Like when she is like persistent. And so I got hired as the manager of the apartment community right on campus and I managed that for the four years that I was um, in college. So I had a full-time job managing a building, which was like the best education ever uh -huh. because I got to study human behavior at its worst and at its finest. And I was 20 years old, you know, like I was just a kid. And it was really cool because it was a furnished building. And so we had many people that were from outside of the country. And a girl from Texas who hasn't left Texas, I was just 
fascinated with meeting these people from India and Germany Uh and from Australia that were all living on campus and needed a furnished place because they were, you know, foreign exchange Mm -hmm. students, we called them then. And it was just amazing. So I did continue my journey of entrepreneurship, if you will, um, while I was in college and and continued on from there. I mean, by that point, when I graduated from college, I was really hard to manage. So when I did have real jobs, you know, my bosses were just like, man, you are so independent. I'm like, I'm just not used to having anyone like on me. Like, what do you need? Like, I've got this, just give me direction and I'll do it. But, you know, to be real honest with myself, I wasn't only like, give me direction and I'll do it. I was also already, I had so much shame I had so much shame. Like one of the things that alcohol really hid for me was shame. So how I hid the shame was overachieving, looking good on the outside to hide all the pain that I felt on the inside. Uh-huh. So one of the reasons that I hated my bosses looking over me, and I still have this fear. This is something that I do trauma work on often is that I had I had this like innate fear that I was about to get in trouble. And when the nervous system feels like it's about to get in trouble, it goes to the sympathetic mode, right? That fight or flight mode. So, you know, I worked best independently for sure, but I taught myself to do that, to hide the shame. So no one was too close. So they didn't see what a mess I was inside (laughs) and that I could continue to paint the beautiful picture. So that's why when you ask me, like, is there anything off limits? And I'm like, absolutely not. Because part of my conscious sober lifestyle is the willingness to tell on myself at any time and just call it out, you know, because I I just, if someone would have taught me how to feel safe doing that when I was younger, so much of this would have been avoided. And if there's one tip that I can give everyone, that's it. Like, tell on yourself as soon as you feel that incongruency in your body just tell on yourself like, oh shit, like I didn't mean to do that. That, that weren't, those aren't the words that I wanted to use or, you know, they forgot to ring this up at the grocery store and, you know, I took it anyways, like just tell on all the little things that we do. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I thought you were just really acting outside of yourself and it annoyed me or it scared me. You know, we, we spend so much time hiding these things and that's how shame gets built and we be we think we're bad when really it's just our behaviors and our central nervous system not knowing how to respond because it doesn't feel safe to tell the truth and yet when you actually do it for the first few times it is such a confusing but liberating experience to actually live with integrity being defined as doing the right thing when no one watches. That is such a powerful, powerful thing. I remember when I was early in recovery, I was driving somewhere and I was driving too fast. And police behind me, so pulled me over. And as a doctor uh, with police, you always have got a good relationship. We 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 on the right side of the of of you know of the emergencies when we work together. So there would have been it would have been very easy for me to spin a story of sorts and to be let off of the fine. 
But in this case, the guy said, well, do you have an excuse? He asked me in, in a nicer way, a more formal way, is there a way you want to get out kind of a thing? And I said, looked him in the eyes and said, no. Yes, I could have very easily come up with a story, but I said, actually, no. I should have known better than to drive 120 in a 100 zone. Uh, I'm sorry for that. It's my fault. I didn't pay attention, and I should have known better. And the guy just looked at me. Okay. And I write you, uh, wrote me a fine, $200. So whilst that was burning in my wallet, I thought, hmm, that actually was a good feeling. Mm -hmm. To take ownership. To take ownership of what you have done. Rightly or wrongly so. And that was the first of many, many, many experiences that I nowadays cherish. Cherish when I find myself doing the right thing even when no one watches yeah. and that I have got the balls to actually look someone in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, I made this mistake or I behaved like a dick here to my wife. Inevitably, there will be moments when I'm just, arr, arr. And, um, and then I look at her and say, sorry, darling, I, you have so not deserved that. Um, but that's the integrity. That is this, this realization that, wow, it's really, really cool to be wrong and admit it. No. Good. So I'm so pleased for you that, that this sober curious has also then led to that. Give me an example where you, where you stuffed up, but then showed integrity. <laughs> Come on, it's it's show and tell here. <laughs> yeah, it's like every day. Even just last night, I um on Instagram I go live every Friday night on oh. sober motivation. And I just I've had a lot going on over the last week and um I just totally forgot I really needed to go hike. I needed to like get my feet in the dirt and like go. And it was like nine o'clock last night and I went live like a mess with my like blue light blockers on. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have to tell on myself, y'all. I totally forgot about you tonight, you know? And I mean, I was like, I practice what I teach in yeah. all of my, you know, just, I always practice what I teach. And that's much different because I was teaching yoga, you know, 10 years ago and blowing lines of cocaine before class, before I taught the <laughs> class. So, you know, like, um, and, I'm, and I'll tell on myself on that too, right? But I'm much different now. Now I feel bad because I don't show up, you know, on this free platform to give, you know, people sober motivation. But I used to literally blow lines before I taught yoga. Oh, brilliant. Um, now, now, that is a, the biggest diversion that you can do. How did you do yoga? Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Let's do yoga. Come on, dead pose, dead pose. Eyes up in the air. You are so slow. <laughs> Hell, how did you do that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like the things that I survived, it's, just, um, it's just kind of, a you know, I just, I hadn't slept from the night before and I was teaching the early class and I was like, well, this is what I know to do and like show up and suit up and do the thing. And I would pull it off, you know, yeah. and then it started to get really exhausting on my poor little body. Exactly um, that was like towards the end of my, that's when I was really depressed and, and, and just knew, like I knew how out of alignment I was. Um, but again, 
uh, couldn't find that person or that thing that was really going to support me to live like I wanted to live. And um, I, I did find in that time period, I found my first um, healer that I started working with. And if it wasn't for him, things would have even been much different because he really held the space over the time where I started to struggle. So I met him, I think around 2009 or 2010. And um, my, uh, my boyfriend at the time and I had gone to, um, to couples therapy with him or to just have him support us in our relationship. And um, after our first session together, he asked me to, 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 to stay behind. And he asked me right straight to my eyes, like, when was the first time you were sexually assaulted? And I was like, how do you know that? And he's just like, there's so much energy in, you know, in your root and your solar plexus. And I had already, you know, been studying this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, like you see me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he really helped me open my eyes to how I was behaving and also my gifts. So it was this beautiful experience of me really, really having to find um, a place where I was going to stop and be as suicidal as I was. And also to bring all of this light and all of these gifts forward in me. So it was like something was dying in order for something to be birthed. And that's why I just so believe in the the space I hold. And I call it the play, the play that I get to do with other people. Because it's so possible when we can really dig in there and find it and and let that out so that light can shine through. And I believe it's possible for everyone, you know. And in order for the phoenix to rise, there need to be ashes. And it is so much trauma in... Everyone I talked to, and some people did just just put try to put earth over it and and cover it up, and it's like like you putting a band aid on really a pussy area in your body, and it won't end up well. Yeah, for a while the band aid hides the infection, but sooner or later your body gets so sick that nasty things start to happen, and I guess that's that's the same in our lives, and uh, it's great that you have come to that point at the same token it's i guess sad that you had to come to that point in order to be so uncomfortable to be open to now learning so whilst you were curious all the time your curiosity led you down some dark alleyways and down some some paths that were probably not so great with hindsight at least uh, but then to find the power at the bottom of the abyss, at the bottom of, of the gutter, to actually pull yourself out of there and open yourself to someone or a group of people that can help you. I'm so pleased for you that you had that power, that glimmer of hope, which then suddenly started becoming a brighter and brighter light. I mean, this was, wow. So this was uh, a few years ago. How many years would you say you're on this journey now? Um, so the first time that I went to treatment for alcohol um, was in 2014. Beautiful. So 2014 was the first time I went to treatment. And then um, for two years, I just struggled with suicide, 
really, because I couldn't find the path that was going to be my path. Hmm. Um, I was, I got really involved in many different forms of recovery and um, none of them were really, really talking to me. None of them felt like the right thing. But of course, because I'm utilitarian, if I do something, I'm going to freaking do it, right? So I worked the steps as hard as I could. I had this very, the utilitarian has a massive <sighs> kind of energy, not in gender, but just like it's strong, it's structured. It's, it's like, do, do, do. If I check all of these boxes, then of course I'm going to feel better. Of course I'm going to thrive, when I was checking all the boxes, I was doing it exactly like they told me to do it, but I wasn't feeling it. And I had already started studying trauma. And so I knew that that was the missing piece, but there wasn't, and, and I was in San Francisco where there's so much, re, so many resources, but I wasn't finding the right person to support me to integrate the tools in the right way. So it wasn't dropping into my heart and my body. Hmm. So my nervous system was still like all the time. And I was like, but I've worked the steps three times and I'm a secretary of this many meetings and I do smart recovery and I do life ring and I do aftercare and I do this. And then I would get overwhelmed and I would lock myself in my apartment with like two cases of wine and try to kill myself. Like the you know perfect combination of Xanax and wine. So I would go like six months, three months, and it wouldn't work. And so I was like, you know, it's not working, y'all. So just leave me alone. No one tried to save me. But firemen knocked my door down. People would climb up the fire escape to get into my apartment. There was so many friends and family that would fly across the country to save me. I would end up in the hospital and I would just look at them like, oh, how could you have like woken me up from that? Why couldn't you just let my heart stop? And it was really a tough couple of years. And in 2016 was when I tried again and my parents had witnessed me just, I wasn't good. And I just, I was, I wasn't dying. And I, I went to my parents and I was like, I got to go back to California. I got to go back to treatment and like, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to write a program. I mean, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show other people that there's a different way because I've tried freaking everything and it's not working. And so I'm going to figure out my own path. So when I showed up to that last treatment center, I had all these notebooks that I like slammed on the psychiatrist's door. And I was like, I have ideas. And they were just like, prove to us that you are, you mean this and we'll let you, we'll let we'll give you free time to write this. We'll give you free time to work on this stuff. And we'll work with you. And I'm like, I cannot go to treatment again. I, by this point, I'd been to treatment like six or seven times. And I just couldn't do it again. And that was it. That was my last time. And in that, I started writing this program in 2014 that I share with people at my first treatment center. And then I started sharing it. So my last drink was in June. And by September, I started sharing my work with other people of 2016. And so whilst your relapses were brutal and life-threatening and with a nice mixture of depression and suicidal ideation sprinkled upon it, you were actually working on your recovery, at least at some level. And I, I that is, on a lot of levels, yeah. Uh, now, sorry, let me rephrase that. You were planting seeds one after the other, after the other, after the other. They just didn't grow yet. And then suddenly something 
came together, which was then a nice rain shower that suddenly the earth got, got wet. And suddenly these seeds started to actually work together and built that that beautiful little uh, forest of food uh, that became your program and that became your, your ideas that worked for you. Yeah, Stefan, I love the way you put that because it's so true. It was like, even in the midst of the horrendous situations that people would walk in to my house, you know, like so much Xanax in my body, so much alcohol in my body, but somehow I I would remain somewhat conscious. I don't know how it it worked. I don't know how it, how it, how it happened, but there was that whole time there was something bigger than me. And I truly believe that that was like, no, you're going to, you're going to keep going and this is all teaching you something. And our, and since I'm so curious and I was like, well, what am I supposed to learn here? I mean, if I still have my journals, some of them sitting right here, yeah. if you were to read my journals, I was in the midst of this. I was still like, Oh wait, you know, my nervous system isn't agreeing with this. And da, da, da. I was like a little scientist over here really figuring things out. And you're right. None of them grew until they did. And so when they did grow, it was like I sprouted up like a tree and everyone was like, what? You only have three months. And I'm like three months and like a lifetime of trying to figure this out or not trying at all of figuring this out. And I think that's the important, important bit. That is such a beautiful lesson you are just teaching us here, because while relapses can be so devastating when they happen to you and when you let them be at the same token they can be such powerful lessons because what they do show us is that there is still something that you haven't dealt with and that is something so 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 important um and it is is and yeah sorry i need to blow my own trumpet here so guys here my steps to sobriety why am i pointing to that well i've written in there about the relapses i've written about what they really mean, what's the chance of them. And it is, the fact is the fact, between 60 and 80% of us in the first year will have a relapse. Now, just because you start drinking again does not mean that your program necessarily didn't work or, or things like that. No, it just meant that for years and years and years, you've used the coping mechanism and now new challenges come and your body goes back into the old groove of the vinyl of the LP. You're just basically playing a song again that you knew, which was sort of helping you, kind of, for 20 years. And now you suddenly expect that from the word go, everything is beautiful and, and unicorn will fart rainbows and things like that. Nah, nah, nah. Unfortunately not. So relapse is part of recovery, certainly in the first year. And then the chances are slowing down that it happens again. But lapses, lapses means you drink and say, come on, that's not clever and stop. And relapses means that you drink and actually go back into your old behavior. Um, So both of them are normal use them as lessons, use them as something constructive and say, okay, fair enough. So what is that I, that I have not dealt with? Did I not pay attention to the basics? The hauled, the hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Did I not pay attention to emotions? Have I, am I burned out? Because I've done 
life ring. What was it? AA, 12 steps, life ring, <laughs> women in recovery. Uh, you name it, you did it probably. Well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Even there is too much of a good thing. <laughs> there totally is. And, and, you know, just to add to what you're saying, thank you so much for, you know, mentioning your beautiful book. And also just that it's so, you know, and I, and I speak to so many people on a regular basis that just have had tremendous amounts of shame since their childhood. So um, something I used to say was I wore shame like a blanket, you know, I was just like, oh, I just, I'm just shameful all the time. And it, it was my, it was what I identified with. I'm bad at my core. And so when those relapses come or those lapses come, then that that groove, that pathway, that's why I call what I do like regroove in your mind, right? That pathway, it opens back up. And this is the biology of being human, y'all. This is exactly the biology of every single human being out there. And whether it be alcohol or drugs that come into it or porn or social media, Mm. or sugar, whatever it is, when that pathway opens up, there's so many receptor sites that say, you do this, that happens, that you just start computing that way. And the central nervous system is only designed to keep us alive, right? So it's not designed to keep us to thrive. So it takes the path of least resistance. So when we relapse and we put the ethanol and the sugar or the heroin or the meth or whatever it is, or the sex, right? Or the person, the human being that you let back into your life, whatever it is, then that pathway lights up like just poo fireworks in your brain and you start going in that direction. And it's not your fault. It's what you've created, it's your pattern. It's not who you are at your core. It's not the higher levels of you that are connected to the bigger things in the world. It is your pattern. And what we know from epigenetics and the central nervous system and all the trauma work is that we can change these patterns from their core levels. And when we do that, the desire to escape dissolves. And, and that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so true, so true. And I'm, I'm basically thinking about it as, as replacing the kind of pleasure that you get and the kind of numbness, comfortable numbness that you get from drugs by a life so beautiful that you simply don't have time or don't have space for drugs and don't have space for that, that dopamine surge that you get from a drug because you, you replace it with dopamine searches uh, that are more sustainable and less guilty and, and shameful and things like that. So suddenly you get pleasure out of things other than drugs and you think, oh, that was nice. And can I do that again? And you actually think, was there anything wrong with what I did? No. It was actually really, really good. And that might have been that you wrote a letter to some relative that you have not connected with forever and were really guilty feeling about. And you actually did that and it felt really good. Or maybe making amends. Maybe something was in the back of your mind and it really, really, really uh, was, was making you feel bad and now actually going out there and maybe making amends to that person 
or making living amends, which means that you actually behave different in similar situation than in a past. Wow. When you actually start walking the walk and not talking the talk, suddenly action results in other action and, and reactions that come very positively back to you. So your life changes. And guess Absolutely. what? And you have the power, guys. You have the power. I mean, Amy managed to somehow do it. I somehow managed to do it. We both are by no means perfect. Bloody hell. By no means. Uh, I mean, are there, are there still moments that, that you, Amy, that you think, ooh, I could do with a drink? Oh, mm-mm. Mm -mm. No. no. Good on you. What yeah. about drugs? What about yeah. drugs? Does, the, does, the, does the, the feeling never enter your head? I mean... Maybe I guess I'll like look at people drinking and I'll mm. like have a reminiscent moment or a physical sensation that comes over my body of like the remembrance of it. But like, I just feel like I did it really well. <laughs> I, get, well okay. I get a gold star ah. for, for using <laughs> drugs and alcohol and I'm just, I'm just done. You know, I'm just like, Oh, it was so fun when I did oh. that. Like, I did it well. Like I drank with the best of them. I, 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 I've, I really got to party like a rock star, literally. And oh. I, you know, I don't really <laughs> think about it. I don't need any do-overs. <laughs> so Billy Connolly put it really well. He said, you know, there's so much that you can drink in a lifetime. And I drank it all in the first 40 years. So <laughs> I, I agree with Billy 100% on that. So I've been there, done that, uh, agreed. Do I still get temptations? Yes, very much so. These temptations are strange. It is nothing with the, compared with the cravings that you get in the early recovery or that you had during your, your active addiction. No, it is the weird kind of, wow, you did really well, you deserve a drink. And you think, where the hell is that coming from? But it's there, it's there, that voice is there. Or wow, that was a real shit day. Hey, why don't you pull over there, get yourself a, a nice glass of wine. Could you imagine that glass going down? Mm, you feel the taste. And after two glasses, you feel the... Ah. I, my brain wants to play me that record. Okay. And I've, I catch myself and say, really? Really? After all we have been through? After all we have done? Can't you remember that? And... Then the other voice goes, okay, okay. But it's, I have to catch myself. And it's weird. So, And that is the power of alcohol. And it's the power of advertising. Remember, right. you know, it is, I, I certainly don't mind watching Netflix, but every three and a half minutes, someone is using alcohol, showing you alcohol as a product placement, et cetera, et cetera. It's so easy for our subconscious addict to get tickled and triggered. Yeah. And I love that you just brought up the subconscious because that's what I wanted to talk on. It's like what that little, um, that activation all starts in your physical body. So you're activated by your day. You're activated by celebration. And so you feel that same sensation, whether it's butterflies in your stomach or that heavy rock or that heavy load onto your shoulders. And that activation lights up those neural pathways. Mm. And they all used to light up, go have a beautiful glass of wine. 
you know, go have a martini after work. Like, I mean, the, the, the pathway, this is what I always like to remind people of the pathway will never completely go away. It will dissolve with practice, but to shame ourselves, if the thought comes up as like, oh, to be expected, mm-hmm. right? And I, you know, the methodologies that I use, I think I've just interrupted that because I'm just like, why would I want to put ethanol and sugar on my body? Because I had a good day or a bad day. Like that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a taste of, um, they didn't have any vanilla extract Um at the stores here because they we've been low on supplies with COVID. And so I got, um, I got vanilla extract that had alcohol in it and I was just making, you know, whatever I was making. And I got like a little whiff of it. And I literally like, was like, Oh, like I just, I didn't even like the smell of it. And it was, mm-hmm. I had a visceral, like, like gag response to it. And I was like, Oh, cool. Like my body literally has agreed with me. Like we do not do that. <laughs> so, cool. I was okay. in new Orleans, um, not too long ago and I did a lot of drinking and having so much fun there. Um, but every time I went to a bar, someone bought me a drink and I was just like, Oh my goodness. Like I don't drink, but they would just sit them in front of me. And I was like, Oh, I don't drink. I don't drink, but I don't feel like, mm, like this looks so good. I'm missing out on mm. something. I'm like, Oh man, I've had so much fun with this stuff. Y'all have a great time. You know, like, no, thank you. I'm going to go bed. <laughs> I'm going to go bed and go to yoga in the morning. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so true. So true. Oh, goodness. It is. Yeah. And and you guys out there, it is, it is your own journey. Some of you will feel like Amy, and I'm so pleased for you. Some of you will feel like me, and you just have to accept that this is what alcohol place in your head and you need to to accept it you need to know that they are out there to get you so that uh, there is a lot of social engineering going on a lot of uh, advertisement that is not advertisement but it is uh, it's basically they want to sell their alcohol these are uh, a trillion dollar industry and are incredibly powerful and incredibly clever so only because you suddenly think of alcohol and get tempted, don't just now take the nine cat whip out and whip yourself bloody um, for shame and guilt. No, that is, you're working against the powerful enemy, so to speak. And it is what it is. You just need to learn how to deal with such moments and don't let them derail you. And I... I I have found my ways. Amy, you have got a system that works for you. Uh, so there will be many systems out there. And uh, by the way, guys, listen to Amy. Amy actually had been to a number of recovery systems, and all of them are really good. All of them are reputable, are doing fantastic. But somehow, one way or the other, it didn't gel with Amy. And so therefore, I hear a lot of people, ah, oh, I've been to rehab, doesn't work. Well, uh, again, I've got a whole chapter in my book about, about that statement and about talking about rehabs, what's the ideal rehab, and then the experiences that I gathered from being in rehab, in, in really good one, but also listening to other people who have been to different places with very, very different experiences. Yet, they were all rehab. So don't listen to people who say, oh, I've been there. Uh, it didn't work. Or rehab doesn't work. Rehab works. 
you just need to find the right one with which you gel and which means something for you, which fits your belief system or where you learn that your own belief system might not right. I mean, you might as well try the other's belief system and see, <laughs> see if that does the trick. So don't give up, okay? Even if you had one experience that was not nice, well, so what? You know, how many times did you fall over as a child and did your parents ever say, no, stop walking, that's it? You, that's 10 times you fell. Stop walking, it's not good for you. Huh? No one did say that. So please, guys, there is a life out there. And, and you know, uh, so Amy, your system, if people wanted to know more about your system and your your style of rehab, so to speak, how to how can they find out more? How can they get hold of you? Yeah. Um, well, um, thank you. I want to tell everyone that, but I also want to comment on a few things that you said. I oh, please, please. Yeah. So a couple of things, like one thing that I just want everyone to know, right? The power of the sub, the unconscious and the subconscious mind, we make 90% of our decisions from there. And so something that I always remind everyone, including myself, is all things I ingest, all things I ingest matter. So what, what are the messaging messages that I have coming at me every day? And to really look at that, you know, and if you're in those earlier parts of um, your journey, whether it's through a trauma journey or through any kind of type of recovery that you're choosing, you know, you really want to be mindful of what you're ingesting on television and podcast and what you're reading and what you're eating and what you're drinking and all of the things, because those messages are putting these con this conditioning into your brain. And before you know it, you're like, I don't even know how I did it. But then, you know, 24 white claws later, I was in the hospital again. <laughs> right. So there's just so much. I, I never experienced a white claw. So <laughs> they're everywhere, though. <laughs> white claw. What is white claw? I don't, it's, a I don't... it's a seltzer with vodka in it. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. I see. There you go. There yeah. you go. So yeah, something new out there. Five, uh, five years or so. Uh, about that time that the liquor industry uh, got the hang off of creating this new little trend that is now sweeping through a whole generation. Uh, yeah. Yes, but then again, we are bloody alcoholics. So yes, oh, that is a beautiful one. The bouquet. The oh, nice. <laughs> Down it goes, you know, as after two bottles of wine, they can give you turpentine. They can give you bloody methylated spirits and you still say, oh, the nice bouquet. <laughs> Down it goes. So that's the reality. We're freaking alcoholics. We would drink anything given the chance. So let's not let's not get too much on our high horse. Even and forgive me if you if you own a vineyard, um, so many of of um uh, people in the industry are alcoholics. You guys know that. So I'm not insulting your product. You probably make a really nice wine, but you're still a freaking alcoholic, just like me, just like Amy. So <laughs> let's be honest here. <laughs> so yes, so you're so right. Uh, so your style of, of rehab, uh, tell us a bit about it and tell us how we can get hold of you. 
Yeah. So it's interesting because I, I definitely have a different style of, um, of supporting people, right? So I don't refer to it as any kind of rehab. Like what we do together is we really get to the root cause of the behaviors and, you know, how the methodology that I've put together to do that includes a lot of one-on-one support and really understanding those formative years, those one through seven years and what the nervous system developed in that time period. Like what, how did the body start experiencing life and what patterns did you create? Mm -hmm. So um, I really work in all of the somatic experiencing approaches. Everything that I do is trauma informed. So I'm not, I don't use the word alcoholic actually at all. I don't use the word addict. I say that you had really strong patterns and you chose these coping mechanisms. Now, I don't work with people that are still usually, it depends on how, you know, what their, um, what their, what their level of coping is. Um, If they're in a high level of coping and, you know, they're not seeing straight, then I definitely recommend before they work with me that they go through a detox and that they go to um, treatment centers that I really believe in that take a more holistic, integrative approach. And from my approach, I take people deep. So the whole purpose of my program is to support people to heal those original incidents and then become emotionally flexible in their nervous systems, really learn how to, to ride the waves of all their emotions without, without reacting while responding to the world. And usually within the first three months, we've really discovered the purpose the, pur- the purpose that someone has. So it's so cool because so many of the people that I support, I've gone on to become their business coach after we get them to a place where they found their purpose. And then I help them and support them to start building their business because I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. So my program is really about treating the whole organism. I look into all the nooks and crannies of someone's life. We, we, you know, we, we have all kinds of containers that I call them where we look at finances, where we look at your environment, where we look at your history. So there is no place that we do not uncover <laughs> together. And sorry. I, oh. so, sorry, Amy, I'm laughing because you're, you're essentially, you're reading through, through the chapters that I hear. That's exactly what my book is about. If awesome. I didn't realize how bloody close we are in oh, our approach it is weird. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird. You are, you, it's weird. You are talking, yet my words are coming out of your mouth. And that's <laughs> just strange. And it's such a beautiful approach. Deal with the underlying trauma. Amy, oh, you, you, where have you been all my life? <laughs> my twin <laughs> sister. Here in California. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, your, your approach makes so much sense. Oh, and it's so beautiful to see you actually looking at all the, the, the pillars of, of our life or however you phrase it. There are so many, so many things. You can't just say alcohol, 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 and now I'm sober. And you have no idea how to deal with finances, no idea how to deal with whatever criticism, normal criticism in, in work, because you feel immediately attacked whilst they are actually quite right. Uh, you didn't do your job well because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, all these kind of things. There is so many more things that you guys need to learn. And that's where I like your approach heaps and heaps and heaps. Yeah. And 
I like, uh, may I just make a comment on your alcohol? Uh, sorry, I couldn't actually stop laughing when you were saying that. And I, I feel I've interrupted you, but I, I just okay. had to. It, it oh, I burst love it. out. Oh, we have so much chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, it was bizarre. Uh, the, you, there are two different approaches, which I guess we need to highlight, and none of them are really right or wrong. Right. There is the one approach of AA, which says the very first step that you do is you have to acknowledge there's a problem. Therefore, hello, I'm Stefan. I'm an alcoholic. That's where that approach comes from, that you actually admit that there is a problem and then recognize that there is a bigger thing out there a bigger amount of energy out there that can help you to get clean dry whatever you call it so that's i am an alcoholic whilst over there is well let's not focus on the negative but let's actually focus on what is the life you want to create what is that vision of you in five years time or in one year time etc who do you want to be and then work stepwise towards that and don't look too much back. Yes, there is there is the kind of uh, thing in the past, but now create that vision and we want to be positive in our language. Both of these approaches are very, very valid. And at various times in your recovery, they might all be really important. Um, yes, it's all quite nice to think about the future, but if you're still using that because you haven't dealt with that, so, okay. So Amy's approach is absolutely superb. There's nothing wrong on the contrary. It's you're dealing with all the problems and because you give solutions to problems, therefore those problems are no longer really the big obstacles that then might lead you to jump back into the old groove. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, beautifully said. And so many of the people that I support have been in 12-step programs for 10 plus years oh. and still just haven't, you know, really gone to those underlying causes. And so they're, they're, they've been sober and they've been going to meetings and they're well-conditioned and all of that. However, they're like, oh my gosh, there has to be something more. And when I see you on Instagram or I see you, you know, going live or working with someone and when I've recorded those things, they're just like, whoa. I've never heard anyone talk like this before. I want to come closer. I want to learn more. And, you know, that's the, that's the curiosity, like just to bring this all full circle, <laughs> you know, that's what I encourage over and over and over again with people like find that, that thing in your, you, that thing in you that like lights you up, that turns you on, that you're just like, Ooh, I want more of that and follow it, follow it. Like you did when you were escaping yourself. Follow that thing that's inside you because it's so, so beautiful when you find it and you let that light shine through. And I get so excited because it's it's real. It's not, we're not making this up. And believe me, if you would have met me five years ago and been one of the people that knocked down my door to get to me, you would have never thought that this woman was going to be sitting here now talking to Stefan. Mm. You just wouldn't have. So, so much is possible when you have the right support, when you have that guidance, when you feel safe in your nervous system, when you learn to feel that safety. And then it's, it's exploring it. And I always invite people to come closer first, right? You know, I'm just like, go to my Instagram at Thrive and Recovery with Amy. Go check it out. I have video after video after video. You get to know me. You get to know the concepts. You get to hear from other people. 
right? Go to my Facebook. I'm an open book. I don't, I don't have any secrets. I tell on myself, you go to my personal page, my business page, any page, it's all going to look the same. It's going to have the same messaging. You know, I, I truly just believe like, come closer, check it out, see how it feels for you. Read Stefan's book, right? Like be in this, listen to podcasts like this, and then to start to listen to that little sensation inside your body, not in your mind, that's telling you like, Ooh, that feels good. Like the butterfly feeling in your stomach and follow it. Go find out more, hop on a call with me, you know, inquire about Stefan. It's like, it's all out there. It's so available. And if you follow it, the answers will come. The thing that's bigger than you, the energy that's bigger than you in the world will give you answers if you continue to follow it. And I, I like to say it's like a coming home process to yourself. And to learn to love yourself, and believe me, I, I didn't know that that was going to be possible in my lifetime. I thought I would just fake it. And to really, truly find that love um, is freedom. Beautifully put. Amy, I'm so grateful that I came onto my show today. I didn't know that I had a twin sister in Texas. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, in California. I'm in California. California. Sorry, I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. It is. It's. It's wonderful. Wonderful, guys. I hope we could we could clarify some of the 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 issues that might be going around your head. The the guilt, the shame. The, the need to be open and the, the fact that you can find happiness and joy and that the dark times don't necessarily need to continue. They will not just suddenly poof, disappear. Um, I'm not a genie, although my, my body size might, might suggest that. Um, but, and, and my hair, for that matter, yeah, I know that. But no, uh, no, no, it, I have no magic wand. I have not a, a lamp for you to rub on. No, but I guess there are answers out there to questions that you didn't even know you had. And I think just being curious and being open and going out there and actually learning to listen to your body and trying to find the answers and asking the right questions. That's so powerful. But you need someone like Amy to to help you. And you. it's interesting that you say that you work with a lot of people who have been in one system. Um, that's what I call the white knucklers, the, the people who are, uh, yes, I can do it. I don't think, look, I'm try for 10 years. Yet they have not dealt with, with the underlying problem and therefore they never move on. And that's just a sad existence. And I think you all can do better. Just deal with the shit. And yes, it's painful for the moment, but it's like, like, lancing a boil or some letting pass out or pulling that rotten tooth. Yes, it bloody well hurts, but then the rot is out and suddenly you can heal. And that's, that's no different with any other trauma that you will have gone through. There will be enough in your lifetime to, to make everyone shake, shake their heads because that's what life is. So guys, don't give up. Look around where are resources that, that can help you and lift this life to the absolute fullest. You, come on, guys, you can do that. 
So Amy, again, thank you so much. I was humbled and blessed that you came onto my show. Thank, thank you, you so much. Look after yourself out there. Bye. Bye now. Dream.